A question. Are you a good person? Don't answer that out loud, uh, but do answer it in your head. A nice little kind of uh, uh, a little humdinger for us on a Sunday morning to think through. Are you a, a good person, would you say? Funny question, isn't it? I mean, it's, in some ways, it's an uncomfortable one to contemplate. Um, it sort of makes us shift, possibly, a bit awkwardly in our pews, because we know there's a trap hidden in the question. Um, anyone who says, yes, oh, I'm a good person, we all know. Come on, you're probably kidding yourself if you're going to answer that quickly and say that I'm just good. But at the same time, we probably think, um, well, I've never murdered anybody. Um, I haven't spent too much time in prison. I might have been hauled into the headmaster's office once or twice when I was at school. Perhaps I've got a, a point or two on my driving licence. Does that make me a bad person, though? I don't know how you'd answer it. I wonder what you'd say. Are you a good person? Well, we're going through these fruits of the Spirit. If you've been here the last few weeks, there they are up behind me on the screen in quite small writing. Sorry if you uh, can't read that. There they are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I wonder whether you'd agree with me that actually all the other fruits that we've been looking at, they're quite quickly ones where we would be able to identify whether or not, yeah, we, we might say, yes, I'm, a joy- I'm joyful, or no, I'm not particularly uh, patient, or I'd love to be more kind and gentle, or, or self-control. Yeah, that's something I'm really working on and would love to see grow in my life. But goodness... It's a funny one, isn't it? Are, are we good people? Are we growing in becoming more good? Do we want to become more good? Is goodness something we'd use to describe ourselves? Well, I thought we'd look at Titus this morning because, have a look down if you've got Titus 2 and 3 open there. Well, actually, the whole book of Titus, you can see it in front of you. It's a short letter from Paul, uh, St. Paul to Titus. And the reason why it came to mind was this great verse, verse 14, where it says of chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus Christ gave himself, it says, for us... Two, redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. And this, you might have spotted, um, is a theme which came repeated in those verses that Dave read to us. Look at 3 verse 1. It talks about being ready to do whatever is good. Or verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things, says Paul, so that those who've devote, who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And actually, if you look at the whole letter, we can see the whole thing, all three chapters, just to spread across that one page. The entire letter is about doing good. He starts off telling them the reason for writing. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, he, he's writing... Uh, a servant of those uh, of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Godliness and goodness, I suppose you could say they're kind of synonyms, aren't they? Because all things that are good emanate from the character of our good and loving God. And he goes on, look at, you look at the subtitles which the um, editors of this version of the Bible have given, the different sections of this letter. Uh, it's, the first one is in bold there. Can you see in chapter 1 it says... Uh, that Titus needs to be appointing elders who love what is good. And then he's to be rebuking those who fail to do good. That's based on verse 16. It says, they claim to know God, some people, but their actions deny him. They're not fit for doing anything good. And then the whole of chapter 2, it's got this section where it talks about doing good for the sake of the gospel. It's got sort of something for 
older men, verse 2, and then something for older women, verse 3, and something for younger women, and something for younger men. And we won't um, pause too long to consider which category, perhaps this morning, we fall into of older men or younger uh, men or women. Um, but in all things, there's, there's something there, chapter 2, verse 7. In everything, he says, set them an example by doing what is good. And then, he, and then chapter 3, saved in order to do good. And then he closes up, final remarks, look at chapter 3, verse 14, at the end of the letter, our people must learn, he says, to devote themselves to, again, doing what is good. So this letter is about the implications of the Christian faith for, for goodness, and goodness is what we think about this morning. So I've got three things which I'd like us to think about this morning, three things I think Titus is going to show us I've got a title. I don't know whether we normally have titles for our sermons, but um, I've gone with one. Three secrets for how to be a good person. Uh, If that doesn't sound too much like one of those articles you'd normally just skip straight past, which it does, I'll grant you. But three secrets for how to be a good person. And they all begin with P, so there's three headings. The possibility of goodness, the power of goodness, and the people of goodness. That's what we're going to look at. The possibility of goodness, the power of goodness, and the people of goodness. First of all, the possibility of goodness. Have a look down at chapter 3, verse 3. Paul diagnoses a problem. He says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. By all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's rather a, 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 a damning verdict, isn't it, of human nature. Paul is saying, by nature, we uh, human beings are niche goods. We're not good. Um, that may be a surprise to us this morning. I don't know whether you sort of like that idea or not, but um, here's a poll coming up, hopefully, behind me on the screen, which um, uh, was a, such a surprise to me when I, I saw this on the BBC News a couple of years ago, and it surprised me so, so much I took a screenshot, which you may be able to read if you're sitting near the front or if you've got good glasses on. Let me read it to you. This is what it says. It was a question. It said, do you believe in the essential goodness of most people. Do you believe in the essential goodness of most people? And you could answer either yes, definitely, no, definitely not, or maybe. I don't know what you'd have answered. You can see, by the way, that's highlighted. I clicked no, definitely not. Perhaps I had in mind um, verses like verse 3, that we're actually, by nature, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Or maybe the words of Jesus, where he says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. But, if you can read that bit at the bottom, it says only 4% of people agree with you. So 96% of people think either yes, definitely people are good, or no, definitely not. I don't know whether that surprises you, but it surprised me, because it just made me think, well, how on earth do 96% of the readers of BBC News square the essential goodness of people with the rest of the content on the BBC News website, which is virtually all about people being bad, isn't it? Virtually all bad news, isn't it? War, we've just been praying for this morning. Conflict. Or to, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I suppose one way to, to lean is to, uh, to, to sort of lean on the word most. Maybe some people, when answering that question, lent on the word most, where it says, do you believe in the essential goodness of most people? And most people are essentially good, maybe some people thought. But, you know, there's a few bad apples amongst us, 
and they're the ones who are getting themselves in the news, and, uh, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, one of, I'm the right side of the line that goes down the population somehow between the goodies and the baddies. Maybe that's what people were thinking. But actually, what Paul is saying to Titus, and what the Bible is absolutely clear about, is that actually none of us are good by nature. We're all sinners. Fred and I took a bucket the other day to go and get some apples from the garden uh, a few weeks ago, and do you know they were all bad? And, it, but I, and probably mostly goes to show how bad of a gardener I was and how late I, I was by the time I got myself organised to go and get the apples. But the point remains, we went out there with our bucket and we thought, oh, that one looks good. Oh, no. Oh, that, what about that one? Oh, there's a worm. Oh, no, turn that one over. Ah, oh, rotten. And we came back with an empty bucket. All the apples had bad bits. And actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably know that we're a bit like that. Like, we're good in parts, like the proverbial curate's egg. We probably know the truth of that uh, famous quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who saw the Russian gulags. He said that the line between good and evil, it runs not through the population, separating some of us and good people and some of us are bad people. He said that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. By nature, Paul says we're foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Incidentally, I think it's amazing the way that Paul diagnoses this problem that we've got in ways that make both Guardian readers and Telegraph readers both right and wrong. You notice that actually, uh, depending on whether you come down kind of more on the left or on the right, you diagnose what's wrong, either in terms of individuality or societally. I mean, take, for example, the war in... Take a less political example. What about the the vandalism of the scout hut this week. Who saw that on the news? Isn't that awful? Say so the kids, presumably it was kids, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was grown-ups, maybe that's worse. Broke into the scout hut this week in Melksham and smashed things up and spray-painted swear words everywhere and urinated in the scout hut. I mean, you just think, gosh, how, that's awful, isn't it? But the comments on the article are so interesting, depending on, if you're on the right of things, you probably tend to come down and say, well, these are rebellious little so-and-sos. They ought to be brought to heel. Whereas if you're on the left, actually, maybe we ought to feel sorry for them. They've been misguided and neglected. Maybe it's sort of their family's fault or or their parents or the schools or the council's fault for not investing in proper youth work or something like that. Well, look at chapter 3, verse 3. This is how balanced... The biblical diagnosis is, at one time, Paul says, we too were foolish, yes, certainly foolish. Disobedient, yeah, broke the law, broke every code of moral decency. But also, deceived. Do this and you'll be happy. Doesn't sin always tell us that lie? And enslaved, actually incapable of doing anything else. So is goodness even possible? Well, if we're going to try and get there under our own steam, no, Jesus says, try and get to heaven by being good, like a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. With man, it's impossible. But, but with God, all things are possible. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, He saved us, not because of the righteous and good things we've done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewed by the Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been, and this is a key phrase, justified by his grace. That's what we spent several weeks thinking about in the book of Romans. Justification by grace. We might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That justification by grace alone, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, that is the power that will enable us to grow in goodness. Not not that if we're good enough, then God will love me. That's what everybody assumes it must be. Oh, that's the motivation to try and be good. Oh, so God will love me. I was talking to somebody this week who is a youth worker. And he said it's so interesting that he's now dealing with a generation of young people who've grown up with no conception of God whatsoever. And he said it's really interesting because a previous generation had a load of baggage that required unpicking. Maybe they were brought up, oh, we had to go to church. Oh, I hated it. Oh, you know, I've got all these sort of ideas that need to be put right. Or maybe whose parents forced them to go to church and yet they were hypocritical. And and I've got to deal with all of that untangling. But now, he said, as a generation of young people who are coming through, got no, their parents weren't Christians, their grandparents, but they, they got no idea who God is and what his salvation is that he offers. And that's actually really exciting because there's none, it's a blank slate for young people to be so interested and excited to hear the good news of Christianity. And he said he was in a school, I think it might have been in the Melksham Oak, but I'm not sure, it might not have been, one of the schools locally, and he said he was sharing about the message of Jesus with these group of year 10 young people. And he said they were so fascinated to hear about heaven and salvation. And one young person put their hand up and he said, Sir, I don't think I'm good enough to go to heaven. What do you think? That's always the assumption, isn't it? It's the assumption, that's the way it's set up. We've got to be good enough for God to love us. See, this young person knew the truth of verse 3 about foolishness and disobedience and deception and enslavement. He didn't know the glorious truth of verses 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 that salvation is by grace alone. The mercy and the grace of God. That's the thing that will empower us to become a good person. It's not the fear of punishment that promotes the fruit of goodness in our lives, it's the grace of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. It's the grace of God that has appeared, that offers salvation. That's what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You know, we might think that, oh, if God is so gracious, we might think, oh, the grace of God, that means he'll forgive me. That means I can do whatever I want. There's no motivation to be good. But actually, anybody who thinks that way has never really been got to grips with what it means that God is a gracious and loving and merciful, forgiving God. Actually, it's the grace of God which teaches us to live a good life. That's what's going to transform us. Grit and willpower and self-determination, that's not going to do it. The fear of punishment, that's not going to do it. It's the grace of God that's the power goodness. Well, finally, possibility of goodness, the power of goodness. The third one is, is the people of goodness. You could have had the plurality of goodness. I was torn for my alliteration when I was thinking about this, because I think the idea is actually not so much about individual, private morality. Is what, what is being talked about here is a corporate, collective, 
force for good. Not so much, am I a good person? But are we, the church, a good people? I love that verse 14. I think it's kind of a key verse. Look at verse 14. Why did Jesus Christ give himself? Not so that we could be individually pious. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. A people, the church. A people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That is why Jesus died. He wanted to create a people for goodness. It's so often I hear people say something like, well... I've got faith, but I don't really go to church. Or maybe you don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. But actually, what the world needs is not quietly, privately pious individuals. The world needs the goodness of the church. Look at the words which are being used in verse 14, eager to do what is good. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, ready to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 8, devoted to doing what is good. And it's the goodness of the church, corporate, the people of goodness, which will transform society. It has done in the past. I believe it will happen again. Francis said, the people of Melksham need this Alpha course. I think that's right. Not just so we can be personally transformed, but so society can be transformed. The atheist commentator, Matthew Paris, so often puts his finger right on the point And he wrote an extraordinary article in the Times several years ago in which he reflected on his experience of having lived in various different countries in southern Africa. Headline was, As an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Subtitle, Missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem. Not that aid money's bad, aid money's good. He's saying missionaries are much more powerful. Let me just read a few paragraphs. He says, now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, international aid efforts. Those are all designed to try and do good, aren't they, in a society? Secular NGOs, government projects, international aid efforts. These alone, he says, will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package. Of course, Matthew Paris would say that as an atheist. Sorry, Matthew, but it is part of the package. That's why. It's the whole power for goodness, salvation. But, he says, Christians black and white working in Africa do heal the sick teach people to read and write. And only the severest kind of secularist could see a mission hospital or school and say the world would be better without it. Now, don't you find that both incredibly discouraging in some ways, but also amazingly inspiring? Don't we want to see transformation in society again in the future? The reality is that Christians on their own, well, that's great. But what Jesus gave himself for was a people who are ready to do what is good. It's the church that started all the hospices and hospitals and schools. It's the church that remains the biggest provider of aid in the world, the biggest provider of healthcare in the world. It's the church in this country, which is the biggest network of food banks and debt counsellors. See, the book of Titus is really about the church. He's saying these are the kind of church leaders you need. This is what you need to do when things go wrong. This is what the older men should do, the younger men, the younger women, the, the younger men. 
It's a corporate book. And so the question is, what does that look like for us? Maybe we've been discouraged by our efforts to try to live a good life. We only know too well our own foolishness and disobedience. Maybe we've been deceived or enslaved. Maybe we've never really grasped the grace of God, his kindness and his love, the salvation he gives us freely, justification by grace that enables the possibility of goodness. Maybe we've abused the grace of God and we've gone, oh, well, God will forgive me. He'll overlook this little indiscretion, this little vice of mine. That's his job, isn't it, to forgive me? No, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Or maybe we need to plug into the people. We've kind of got the individual bit, but not the corporate bit. Maybe we're on the fringes of faith. Maybe we're on the fringes of the church this morning. Maybe we need to get connected. That's what these cards do. If you're just on the edges of things, well, maybe the time is now to plug into the church. Maybe you're not part of a community of older men, younger women, whatever it is, whatever group you fit into. Maybe you'd like to join a, a home group Bible study to create a community within which we can encourage one another on to love and good deeds. Maybe you want to join a team to come and help make a difference in this church or maybe in the community. Maybe you want to uh, volunteer in some way. There's a load of opportunities that are always coming up. Helping kids read in school was one that we were talking about this week or maybe becoming a governor of a school. We, uh, there's a need always, it's a big commitment, but to help our church schools maintain their Christian distinctiveness. Maybe become a trustee or to help out with the food bank which is happening. Are you a good person? Well, we're getting a little bit later. At the end of our service, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And you may know that was written famously by John Newton, who was a slave trader, which is about as bad as you can imagine, isn't it? If anybody's a bad person, a slave trader is a bad person. And yet he knew God's amazing grace. And in answer to that question, are you a good person? He said this. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But, by the grace of God, I am not what I once used to be. Maybe let's make that our prayer as well. Shall we pray?